candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here for the final show of 2015. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host uh, here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I have uh, two great final guests for the year, and uh, we have a real jam-packed uh, 2016 already with uh, some great guests lined up. Hope you'll come back and, and hear them uh, as well as we uh, bring the show back uh, in early January. Uh, just in case this is the first time you're, you're uh, tuning in, uh, welcome, and let me give you a little rundown on how the show works. Um, we basically feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So... In the business world, talent has a couple different meanings, and the first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve that success. So you know, what are those cool secrets we can learn from these uh, these talented people? And the second is how it relates to human resources. You know, How do HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies, and how are they dealing with their talent? Uh, so the, the show really looks to explore those two areas along with uh, you know, how these talented individuals impact a company's culture, one of my favorite things uh, to talk about. My guests, uh, if you kind of put them in a profile, they kind of range from CEOs to HR execs, entrepreneurs, uh, VPs of, of people, uh, you know, just all sorts of fantastic business leaders from just about every industry you can think about. Uh, usually what happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference or maybe run across someone on Twitter or LinkedIn, and I have the privilege of meeting them and learning more about them. And so I created this forum to allow you to listen in our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will you know, help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. Uh, if you're tuning in live here every Tuesday, uh, I want to thank you for doing that. And don't forget, you can send your questions uh, to the guests. Uh, go on to your, your Twitter account there. Just type in uh, your question and at PeopleG2 and you can use the hashtag Talent Talk. Uh, my producer, Mike, can uh, try to feed me in some good questions. Uh, we also love to get good question ideas, guest ideas, anything else you want to send to us there is the best place to do it. So uh, don't forget you can uh, also listen to this, which is how most people actually tune in, is via the podcast on iTunes as well as on iHeartRadio. Um, for the iTunes portion, we had over a quarter quarter million of you uh, download uh some sort of podcast or interact with us last week. Really appreciate that. I was thinking the, the if we have a quarter million in a week. It's actually a million in a month. I think maybe that sounds better. It doesn't sound better than a quarter million in a, in a in a week. But maybe we'll change that up. We'll see. But thank you to all of our listeners, uh, both on the podcast and here live, as well as on our syndicated version of this on iHeartRadio. Uh, there's lots of different ways you can interact. But let's go ahead and get to today's show. My guests uh, today will include uh, Susan uh, Steinbrecher, author and executive coach, as well as the CEO and founder of Steinbrecher and Associates. And then we'll have uh, Terry uh, Terry Burns. He's the vice president of total services for Caesar Entertainment, one of those people that I mentioned meeting at a conference. Uh, him and I both uh uh, he spoke at the conference, and I was on a panel. He's a really interesting guy, and they're doing some amazing stuff over at Caesars. So he'll join me in the second half of the show, and we'll talk more to him. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to uh, Susan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, so tell us uh, about yourself and about your company. 
Yeah, so um, my background prior to starting my my company, which was, believe it or not, 23 years ago, um, prior to that, I was in the hospitality industry, and so I sort of grew up through that business primarily in operations and then crossed over into the organizational development space in the industry and um, started my company, as I mentioned, 23 years ago, and we customize um, learning solutions primarily around leadership development and provide executive coaching services, we facilitate off-site strategic planning sessions, things like that, and almost anything to do with leadership development. Well, it's a little interesting that you kind of start off in hospitality. I had my first kind of big job was in the hospitality arena, uh, working for a hotel. And it's a great place if you like people. I mean, you're just constantly inundated with being around people, whether it's the the customers or it's the, the staff, the vendors. I mean, you're just if you're a people person, it's a great industry. But yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know about you, but I learned pretty quickly I wasn't going to make very much money if I stuck around in hospitality. It's not the not the most uh, <laughs> money flowing area unless you you know, put in your dues and you spend thirty years, maybe become a GM, you could finally make some money. But I, I got out pretty quick when I figured that one out. But I really enjoyed my my time in hospitality. Oh, that's interesting because I know a lot of people make actually quite good money in hospitality, I guess, depending on the position and what part, corporate office or, or field level. I guess it all varies, but I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, maybe I just wasn't patient enough. I saw 30 years like was the, the path to, to reaching that, and I, I think I can do that same thing in less years, so I, I, yeah, that's it. But yeah, it's definitely a, a good place. It's a good job for a lot of people and great industry. So, you know, to get to you specifically, you know, one of the books uh, I know you've written is entitled uh, Heart-Centered Leadership, Lead Well, Live Well, with the basic idea there that, you know, growing awareness that leaders who realize that self-care and authenticity have an impact on their workforce in a really positive way. Is that a difficult idea for many leaders to grasp? Um, I think for some it is because I think a lot of times they they'll, they'll ask the question, well, what is taking care of self and my own you know sort of physical, mental, emotional health have to do with anything? And we really cite a lot of studies and examples and research in the book that talks about the high correlation of the leader's health and the impact uh, on that and their leadership style and how that impacts their people. You know, so for example, it is um, incredibly stressful times for leaders today, no matter the industry or no matter, really, no matter the type of organization that you're in, there's just so much required of a leader today, and it takes so much energy to do that. So, you know, one of the things that we know is that to, to work at our best and fullest capacity, we, we need to have a lot of energy in four major quadrants. We need it in our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual space. So that's where the personal self comes into this. The other part is just the authenticity part, and I think they understand it, but sometimes have a hard time figuring out how to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've seen a lot of leaders, you know, will mentor and coach and lecture and whatever whatever they're doing it, but really get on their people about doing certain things to take care of themselves, to be organized, to be effective. And then you look at that leader and they're running around with their heads cut off. You know, they're exactly. <laughs> preaching more than they're actually practicing. And that's, uh, you know, all leaders do it. We, we get busy. Um, and you have to sometimes lead by example and, and step back and then one thing I realized the other day is I needed to start sharing more with my team the things that I'm doing to be more effective and to manage my time better. But I also need to share with them where I'm really struggling so they they can see that and they they know it's okay to talk about it too. 
Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic, and, and that's really important. It, it, that goes around that whole sort of transparency, right, vulnerability and transparency, and it's becoming more and more important, and, um, again, it's not always easy for some of the leaders to do, but it's so important. I mean, there's power in that vulnerability because mm-hmm. – Especially when I think about, I mean, all the generations want this, but especially the millennials want their leaders to be real, you know, so if they can connect to you as a real person, oh, my gosh, that person has struggles just like I do, or that person had, you know, a bad day like I do, or made a bad decision and shared that story with me, um, was willing to share that story with me, they connect immediately to somebody that has that level of vulnerability. Right, right, and I, I think it's it's it, it's the natural way to articulate it that I want to connect with this person. But I've also thought about it in the opposite way that, you know, when someone's not being authentic, when they're pretending like everything's okay and they're pretending like they're perfect, then I just feel like they're lying to me because right. because we know they're not right. I mean, there's no way. Exactly, I think you're exactly <laughs> right. I mean, that's why I laugh when I think about when I hear leaders say because I coach a lot of leaders, some very very successful and high performers and. We've been engaged to kick it up another notch with those individuals, and then often we also are asked to work with the derailing leader, the person who's hitting the wall and is, is not successful anymore or starting to go down the wrong path. And I just find sometimes having the conversation with them around, you know, why would you not want to be vulnerable? Why would you not want to share that? It's like, well, am I, aren't I supposed to be the role model? Aren't I supposed to be the one that has all the answers? And I thought, well, no, because people know that's not the truth anyway, to your point. And um, you're not you're not kidding anybody anyway. They know that you're not perfect. They know you've made mistakes. They mm-hmm. know that you're not going to know everything. So the sooner you sort of admit that, the more engaged they're going to be with you. <laughs> right, right, and that it gets into being authentic and transparent, like you're talking about. So, do do you see this being more commonplace in business? Whether that's because we're educating our leaders better, or maybe millennials are just you know sort of advocating for it more, or do you think it's still a big challenge? Um, I think it's still a challenge, but I am definitely seeing improvement in that area. And, I mean, to your point, I think it's for those two reasons. I think it's the the millennials are sort of pushing that a bit. Um, they're expecting more of that, and they're asking for more of that. And, I mean, I think all generations are doing that. I don't mean to say just they are, but they certainly have dialed it up. Let's put it that way. They put on mm-hmm. more pressure to leadership to do that. But I also feel that some some are really starting to turn around and say, okay, I'm getting it. When I actually went out there and told the story about the biggest mistake I ever made as a leader, I saw what it did. I mean, I the response I got was so amazing. I thought, well, gosh, this is easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> right. and, and what we're trying to do is build, you know, commitment versus compliance. You know, you'll never get someone's heart in it and high motivation if they're, if they're just complying to a company's policy or procedure or rule or anything else where you're going to get the commitment and get their heart and their absolute best work and highest level of motivation, it's going to be somebody that they are personally connecting to. And that's where that transparency and vulnerability builds that between that employee and that uh, leader. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this just kind of goes along uh, into looking at your background. I mean, you worked for several years in a corporate setting you know, before moving into your role as a coach. So are there principles that you outline in your coaching and speaking and writing, you know, the ones that you saw you know, during this time or you know, when you were in that corporate setting, or they kind of grew out of your experiences acknowledging that there needed to be a different style of leadership? 
Um, I would say both. I would say being a very, very young leader, um, I, I, I actually threw myself in at a very young age, right out of high school, worked three years uh, before I decided to go to college, and then I did both for years and years, it seems like, because going to night school while working full-time during the day, as I kept increasing my responsibility, and I became a general manager at the age of 25, so I was very young um, and didn't really know what I didn't know, and certainly made many mistakes. So the reflection back on the mistakes that were made and me sort of finally figuring out, oh, I get it, when you're really really good to your people and you treat them very well they in turn treat that customer very well which in turn will take care of the business and that was just through making a lot of wrong decisions and then finally starting to make some good decisions and that I learned personal experience from then fast forward in time and I'm now you know an executive coach and um, a business owner and working with a lot of leaders and Really, the book Heart-Centered Leadership came to be when I walked out of yet another session shaking my head saying, gosh, this just doesn't need to be this difficult if these leaders would really understand these things. And I wrote them down, and those things became the seven principles that I speak about in Heart-Centered Leadership. So personal experience as well as my experience as a coach was what led me to this. Well, that's a great story. And, you know, we kind of turn this a little bit towards looking, I guess, ahead 2016 is around the corner, and your businesses will continue to work on things like strengthening engagement and becoming more transparent with their employees like we talked about. So as you kind of look at the new year, what will a new focus or, or buzzword be for leadership, do you think, uh, you know, as, you, as we approach the new year? Well, I think in, in just the overall space of leadership development, I think we are learning a lot about what's worked and what's not worked in the past. And, you know, we are dealing with unprecedented times in terms of highly complex environments. And we know there's going to need to be skills of leaders around, you know, learning agility. Like, can you learn from the mistake you make? It's okay to make it, but can you learn from it and move on? We know that um, leaders are going to have to be really good at dealing with ambiguity and rapid change, and technology is just getting more and more infiltrated into every business. So we know those kinds of things are going to be important to focus on. But what I'm really most excited about is some of the new stuff coming out around what we call vertical learning. So the horizontal learning is the competency-based and skill-based that we have spent decades focusing on in terms of leadership development. You know, you've got to be good at all these skills, which I mentioned some of those. But now the, the vertical learning is what I think of as the mindset transformation. It's really shifting the mind and, talks, and, and is focusing on how you think and how you interpret a situation, not just competencies and skills, but how you do that. And most importantly, it's essential to address complex problems and literally cultivate high, you know, stakes or high risk relationships and be able to navigate that carefully. And it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to do that. So uh, emotional intelligence will increasingly become important and literally what I would call upgrading the leadership operating system, if you will, to be much more wise and, and caring. And that sounds odd maybe, but it's really about you, you're going to have to be able to have the right relationships. Um, the higher up you go, the more you count on your ability to influence and persuade and negotiate and 
inspire, you know, because you're now at a level where you're going to have to have your peers, you're going to have to be able to persuade them or influence them to a course of action. You don't have any power over those people. So being able to think things systemically, what's the overall impact on the business if we do this, and being much, much more collaborative will be really important. So things are shifting more in that direction, and, and I think that's very exciting to see, actually. Yeah, and I think emotional intelligence, like you said, that that could be a huge one. Um, it really started to kind of percolate up there again, different talks and blogs and, and books and, and things we've seen out there. But that kind of is that next thing for people to to be better at it as they've, like you said, those horizontal, those base skills have already gotten better. Where is the next place we go? And maybe that's it, is to really focus on uh, our leaders in those ways. You know, as you kind of look at your clients and, and things over the last year, uh, what, are, what are some of the companies that are doing it well? What are they getting right uh, in their organizations that we might look to? Yeah, I, I think, um, one, I am seeing more focus on the emotional intelligence side of the story. I mean, we get more and more and more requests for those types of assessments and spending more time in that area We are, and also around the collaboration skills. Um, I think what I'm, I, I am seeing also in terms of around the talent space, recruitment space, I'm seeing more organizations, and I think this is really smart, are starting to, in their selection systems, doing things like simulations where they, the person actually has to come in and be part of an experience and put to the test via simulation and test their collaboration skills, their team building skills, their leadership skills, their ability to think through a situation where that to me um, is the way of the future because you can certainly um, interview uh, lots of people and have lots of people interview that candidate, but until you sort of see them in action and put them in those types of simulations, I think the more I'm seeing that, the better that is. We've had some of that more at the executive level, not so much at lower levels, and I think I'm starting to see it more at the uh, lower levels. And then the other thing, just in terms of people getting the opportunities and the experience they need to get, is, is they're being put in actual work assignments where it, they have to you know, be in charge of a work assignment or a group or a P&L or something, and then they're sort of tested how they go about doing that. So they're being put in those situations, which I think is really also the way to go. We know that experience is going to be the best <laughs> learn, uh, learn, or what's the word? The best the experience is always the best way to learn anything anyway versus a classroom setting or anything else like that. And other things that you're seeing companies that are, you know, having a hard time, are they consistently failing at in particular areas? Um, not that they're particularly failing at these areas as much as I'm seeing those that seem to be excelling or embracing alternative ways to do traditional recruiting and traditional interviewing and all, everything else. And um, so, so especially when, like, when it comes to, like, the simulation idea. So I think those folks are... They, they think they've made the right decisions, and then when they put candidates through something like that, um, it's amazing to see who gets filtered out, which who would have stayed. <laughs> right. So that's the kind of thing that I'm seeing the most. Well, we touched on it briefly in the er- earlier part of the conversation here about uh, you know different generations starting to to impact uh, the organizations in different ways, and so you know we see businesses are really having this challenge as they grow with the different constructs of different generations 
um, you know, from the understanding of technology, how they interact with leadership, how you recruit different uh, bits of talent and different uh, different segments of those generations, um, you know, how those generations want to approach the business and, and succeed in it or not. Uh, where do you see some of the biggest differences or maybe even commonalities? What, what are the big stories, let's say, about uh, the different generations that are currently existing in the business world? Yeah, you're right. There's multi-generations in the workforce these days. Um, there's especially three layers, if not four. So you still have your baby boomers that are still there. And, you know, their mindset has always been, you know, pay your dues, work your way up, do what it takes to get ahead, you know, climb the ladder. And it was you know, very much a literally climb up type of a, a process. Generation X, I think, really started the whole movement around work-life balance and the movement around because of technology, I can work any place at any time. Why are you having me go through an hour-and-a-half drive commute to get to the office to sit in front of a computer where I could have easily done that at home and given you three hours back in productivity um, if I had just stayed home, I'm sitting in front of a computer here, I'm sitting in front of a computer there. What's the difference? Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to all jobs, but for those that it does, they really started challenging the mindset, which, you know, makes some sense when you think about it. They also were the ones that sort of pushed flex time and job sharing and all of that. Then, you know, millennials come on board, and they obviously are in technology even more, probably challenging that mindset even more. But one of the interesting things I see with this generation is they're much more mindful and conscious of who that company is and what that company stands for. So they're looking a lot at the values of that organization and does this organization walk the talk of what they say their values are, and they're looking at that a little bit more critically because they want to feel proud to work for a company. You know, I remember I had a client say to me that, you know, he used to take his work shirt off before he go to the grocery stores. He didn't want them to know where he worked. I mean, that's not a good situation. So right. they want to be able to proudly wear the shirt that has that company's logo on. And so they're, they're being a little bit more critical and asking more questions about, well, what are you doing around environmental health? What are you doing around community service? Um, and I think that's something that's very interesting that they're bringing in and uh, asking more questions about. Right. Uh, it's fascinating. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, and hopefully you'll have a even more fantastic answer, is <laughs> okay. a lot of pressure. Uh, is there a book that you're reading right now that you can tell us about? Oh, gosh. I probably have two or three. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those that are in two or three books at the same time. I guess the one that's popping out is, um, Dr. Brene Brown's work, Daring Greatly, I absolutely mm-hmm. love her work and love the book. And um, I've seen her, you know, via video and interviewed and everything else. And so I, I think it's a great book. And it, she talks all about the power of vulnerability and being authentic and, and realizing what I would say is the power of doing that, what that actually really gets you. So that's the message of that book. Yeah, I had a uh, privilege of seeing her speak at an ink conference, mm. um, and she was, I, I hadn't been exposed to her work yet, and so it was, you know, one of those, every once in a while you have one of those moments where you run across to somebody and you go, how in the heck did I not know about this person and what they're exactly. talking about? And, yeah. you know, then you just dive in, you know, like a crazy person reading everything you can. So I kind of went through that with her. I lo- that was the first book that Darren Great, that was the one that I really 
uh, dove into first and uh, really her, her work is great and it's really fascinating that she's also such a good speaker as well to go along with her great work because you have a lot of people that do a lot of great research and work but they aren't particularly engaging or have the stories in person but she, she really does a good job very true <laughs> Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your company and having you uh, help them out? Uh, probably easiest is to go directly to our website, which is steinbrecher.com, and that's S-T-E-I-N-B-R-E-C-H-E-R, steinbrecher.com. Um, also, if they're interested in the book Heart-Centered Leadership, we, we also have a website, which is heartcenteredleadership.com. So a couple of different ways, and, of course, we're connected through pretty much all the social media. <laughs> right, like we all are, a little bit tied to our hip these days with that stuff. So, yes. well, it's been a real pleasure, Susan, having you on the show. Um, hopefully we can have you come back at some point, and uh, we can get to all the other questions we didn't get to and get an update from you. Oh, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for the work that you're doing by putting these messages out. That's really awesome that you're doing that. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. You too. Up next, we'll have uh, Terry Burns will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question here for my next guest, you can send it to us via Twitter, at uh, PeopleG2. Just type in that question, and if you got room, uh, hashtag Talent Talk, all one word would be great. Don't forget, you can also check us out on iTunes in the podcast app, the iHeartRadio app on any device, any computer. If it's got internet, I think it can get iHeart. Uh, and type in Talent Talk, or last but not least, TalentTalkRadio.com. All great places that you can uh, listen, interact with us uh, anytime you want. So thank you to everyone all year long has been tuning in uh, when you're driving in your car or at your kid's soccer practice or on the treadmill or wherever it may be. We appreciate you taking the time. So my next guest is uh, Terry Burns. He's the VP of Total Service for Caesars Entertainment. If you haven't heard of Caesars Entertainment, well, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but I'm sure Terry's going to tell us more about what that encompasses. So, uh, Terry, welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me on. We haven't seen each other since uh, 
I think it's six months ago, I think we met in New York at uh, Matt Manners' event, the Employee Awards. Right? We did, we did, yeah. We got to quickly uh, meet each other there. I enjoyed your presentation and knew that we had to have you on the show at some point. And unfortunately, it took took us six months to get us all scheduled up together to, to talk, but uh, you guys are doing some really cool things over there. Uh, b- before we get to that, can you maybe, just for anyone that doesn't maybe understand the vastness of the organization, you know, what does Caesars Entertainment entail? How, what, what sort of different properties and and, and things does that uh, encompass? Sure. Uh, so when you hear Caesars Entertainment, people think immediately Caesars Palace, but we're much more than that. We're uh, 40 resorts across the United States. Uh, we operate under brand names like Caesars, Horseshoe, Harris, that you'll see frequently in the Midwest. Here in Las Vegas, uh, also Flamingo, Paris, Planet Hollywood, the Rio. If you have uh, ESPN at your house, it's hard to avoid the World Series of Poker. So <laughs> that, that's us, too. And then that's all tied together through our, uh, our loyalty program uh, called Total Rewards. So it really is. Uh, and, and that covers, uh, I want to say we operate in 20 states, and that's 70,000 employees. So uh, a big organization. Yeah, just just a few headaches for you to have to deal with. I imagine every day it, it keeps me busy. <laughs> so, you know, one of your roles is to set the strategy of the employee rewards program, which was something you talked about at that conference, and in in some ways is a little bit different than what we we talk about a lot here as far as how to motivate people. But you guys have done it in a really unique way that I think really works for your organization. And so, so what is it that you've developed that is Maybe you can kind of talk about this unique uh, tool that you guys have for employee rewards. Sure. I think it sort of starts with uh, the large amount of customer-centric data we collect. So uh, you know, we, we collect things many ways, but the, the main process is a million inbound guest surveys a year that include scores for everything and customer comments. And so we've been able to do uh, a lot of analysis over those, connect that up to customer behavior in terms of loyalty and spend. So... Uh, our reward program, that really the strategy is to, to find the, the, the collective or, or, or organizational achievements that have the most value to us. So one of those is that we know if uh, customers who believe we're serving them better than some period in the past or serving them at an excellent level, we just keep more of their time and their budget. So even small changes to our, like the service levels we deliver, you know, are very valuable to us in both uh, customer loyalty and advocacy, especially in... Um, a lot of the markets, like in the Midwest, where there's usually a little cluster of casinos together where customers are always choosing among things like uh, price or marketing offers, we want to give them a reason to choose us that are related to the service or the relationships they have with staff. So right. so we set service targets uh, every quarter. If properties can surpass those, we reward everybody that works there in uh, bankable points. We call total return credits. Uh, we invest very heavily in that. Uh, this year we'll spend about $8 million scattered over 40 or so thousand of our staff members uh, that have been achieving those targets. I think the quarterly rhythm of that um, helps keep people engaged. Management, we ask to keep take a longer view, like a year or a two- or a three-year planning period. But uh, shorter terms like quarters we think are better for frontline staff because their, uh, their field of vision is just a little bit more immediate or shorter. Sure. And uh, that's been successful in a, in a, in a time where, the lots of entertainment-related businesses like ours, you know, hasn't been the most robust of times since 2008 through 15. You know, we've done a good job of continuing to grow the, the customer satisfaction and keep improving the experience, keep picking up the, the business gains associated with that in, uh, in loyalty and advocacy. So 
that's really been the strategy is to, to connect big, attractive, valuable business goals and try, then really try to drive the behaviors that will support that through the reward program. So there's a couple interesting you know, components of this that maybe listeners should be thinking about. And the first one that popped in my head is that it's not not about the rewards part. It's that how much your organization is measuring what your um, what your clients, what your customers, you know, think of you. And I, I really can't think of very many other industries where the level of that sort of that 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 act is probably as prevalent as it is in, within your industry. Maybe when you buy a car, you, know, you get hit pretty hard for to, to do the survey with them. But I mean, I really can't think of many other instances where. You know, you really get a good measurement. I mean, most of us in our organizations are not measuring our customer satisfaction to the degree that you are, uh, which sort of sets the tone for then for you to be able to, to have this rewards program for your employees. Would you agree with that? It, it, it does. The, and it's really created like a I'm a believer that uh, creating a rhythm and habit, whether it's in your your life, if you're trying to get in shape or learn a new language or whatever it's going to be, or whether in your business, has a lot of value. So there's there's this rhythm of every week we do this massive collection of customer service data. It's packaged and then fed back to operators, and then from there really almost repackaged so it's easy to consume for folks who park cars and deal cards and clean rooms and serve meals for us. So they have an idea if they're doing better or not and what customers are saying and if uh, satisfaction is going up or down either at the property or in their department. So every Wednesday for as long as I can remember in this company, that's been the rhythm. So it's a little different than something like a, like an annual employee opinion survey that a company might do where, like, you go a long period of time without any data, and then, boom, here comes the bomb of data on mm-hmm. employee opinion survey day. So this is a weekly rhythm that never stops, and I think that's one of the strengths of it. I kind of call that the sort of the sit-ups and push-ups of, uh, for us of continuing to try to inch that forward. And, and really, that's the process. We don't see these massive gains. It's been... It's been an inch by inch, little by little, but over a period of years that has really added up to some some pretty amazing accomplishments at the company and property and department levels that, that we're proud of. Well, I, I love that. So that's that's sort of the the second part of the story. So here that Caesars is doing the surveying on a much higher level than most of us are, but you're also getting that frequency. Um, uh, something I have spoken about a few times is I hate it when I, you know, companies will say, well, we do an annual survey of our employees. And I'm, it's like, so you wait all year long to ask them what they think. And then it probably takes you two months to figure out what they said. And then another two months to figure out what to do with it. And next thing you know, it's six months in and you haven't done anything about it. So your, your next survey is going to be about how bad you are <laughs> at listening to your employees and just kind of this bad cycle. You guys have this this incredible ability to see each week if things are going well or not going well, and you can make those tweaks and adjustments. Um, we're, we're certainly uh, we don't have as many employees as you do, so I could probably couldn't do it at this level. But I, I do a weekly survey with my staff, so I get you know feedback from them. I guess and just one question, a different question each week, and I get a little micro you know, feedback of what's happening so I can make adjustments and we can tackle problems. And that's been really helpful for us. And it's funny, we do it on a Wednesday as well. So we get that, that change. So that's really admirable that you guys have got these two really important metrics. It's frequency and quantity to help you really drive your business goals. Yeah, agreed. Uh, you know, that, that that always seems to be when, when, I, when I come back and think about planning the next year where we're headed, that, that that's one of the things that seemingly we'd want to keep is is that that 
that whole rhythm has become pretty valuable. It's interesting culture we built around it. That uh, I just have a small team, and our, you know, our, our, myself and colleagues will be publishing the packaging and publishing that information for the company, so it's easy for them to uh, a manager that's busy can just grab it, look at it quick, consume it quickly, post it, share it with someone else. If there's if there's any kind of delay in that, like people know basically what what time those things come out. Oh goodness! If it's uh, you know if those are supposed to come out at one o'clock central time and four o'clock they don't have them when we have eighty emails. Hey, where am I? Where's my service data? So <laughs> I, I I think that's interesting that uh, you know people know where and when to look for it and they they really look forward to it and expect it. That it tells me, hey, this is this is great that we're we're publishing things that operations is really putting to work and and counts on to start their like their short term planning cycle. Right. Now, the third part, as I understand, as you kind of explained it here and you went in deeper when I saw you speak, was that based on if they surpass those those goals that you set for the properties, then the employees are awarded points, kind of, I guess, maybe based on many different factors, but they can save up those points and they might be able to get an iPad or, uh, you know, something like within a, an actual kind of a store that you guys uh, have created and they can use those points to get different things that they might want. Um, is that is if I describe that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. We partner with one of the uh, the big reward vendors. There's lots of them, uh, and that's a very competitive business. And there's lots of them that do a good job. But um, yeah, so Caesar's Palace across the street from where I'm speaking to you from today, uh, fourth quarter. They're they're currently exceeding their targets. That group of uh, four thousand employees is headed for earning a reward where they earn about. Uh, I don't know, maybe 175 or 150 dollars worth of bankable points, and then uh, they're able to either save those or bank them. And uh, uh, in since 2009, we're up over 100 million dollars in rewards paid to staff across the company in those bankable points. And you know, it, it's up to them to use as they see fit. Some people spend them as soon as they get them. A lot of folks use that as like a Christmas fund, so we, we get a big bunch of redemptions in December. People doing holiday things for others. Uh, other folks are savers and hoarders, and they just hang on to them for a rainy day. We have a young man that works for us in uh, uh, Illinois. I was able to meet this summer because uh, my vendor told me. He said, hey, when you get a kid in Illinois that's earned 400000 of these things, it's almost $10,000 in value. So uh, he's earned through his group performance. Also, uh, that's the engine for individual rewards. It's up to the property. Uh, so I thought that was pretty amazing. I When we started in 2009, I thought people would do well, but I didn't know somebody could earn you know, ten thousand dollars worth in right. in six plus years. So that was fun to meet him, and he has, he has no plans to redeem. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting, just waiting up, just waiting, waiting for that fun to chat with you. Yeah. That golden goose to come. Yeah, I'm thinking ten thousand points, man. I I don't think I could have ever saved that many. And then I, when I got there, I would have definitely would yeah. have spent it. So, and, and, and I'm sure some of the listeners are probably familiar with the argument for and against paying people. We could have paid that hundred million dollars in cash. Mm-hmm. But I think we got a lot more value by paying it in bankable points. Uh, the, the 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 idea there is that people then attach the accomplishment to the reward, and when someone goes and redeems for a, a brand new iPad Pro or something for the kids or a barbecue grill, that 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 then becomes the memory they connect to their achievement at work. It also uh, like extends to the family experience where you imagine someone has done well earned a reward that everybody kind of gathers around the tablet or the pc at home and they say hey mom or dad has done well at work what what do you want what's the family want to shop for like we've got a lot of great stories back about how people have involved family uh, they, they offer all kinds of travel rewards and things they're buying tickets to theme parks and ballparks and rental car certificates and flights to hawaii and the cruises are popular so 
you know, I, th- I think we've got our people out doing things that are enriching their life outside of work in, in a way very different than saying that $150 went in with their pay and then ended up paying part of the phone bill, which is not very memorable at right. the end of the day. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the, the non-cash reward bankable point system at this point. So I'm sure you have employees that would run the gamut on this question, but you know, in general, and maybe you could even quantify this for your frontline people versus your management, or maybe there's some distinction there. But you know, in general, do you think that it's really about meeting the goal? Do you think that the pride is really around, you know, surpassing that standard that was set and achieving that goal, and that the rewards are then a nice way to celebrate that? Or do you think that people are really saying, I want to meet this goal because I want to make sure I can get an iPad in, in two months. So I, I think it's both. Uh, you know, we have a lot of folks that are work in service jobs extremely professionally, right? And they take a tremendous amount of pride in, in you know, meeting or exceeding high standards and doing their jobs well and relationships with customers. We have all kinds of customers that uh, will, will request things very specifically, have cars handled by certain people to play at certain dealers' tables. I think the most admirable of all is we have a, a woman that is a mature person, not a kid, working as a housekeeper at uh, Flamingo. And I think she, she has six or eight scrapbooks full of stuff that customers have given her or notes she's kept. And we have a lot of folks. We have more, sometimes more people requesting to stay in, on her floor to to take care of just a regular room at Flamingo than we have rooms on the floor. So. So we have a lot of that, but the when the when people see uh, you know we do some scoreboarding and properties can see they're in a little competition with some other properties to to scoop up these rewards. That's when people can kind of team up and encourage each other, and, and I think that's been the accelerator for us in uh, by adding this little element of competition that we have uh, dropped in there in the last year or so. So you combine that with a a person's person's pride to want to be an excellent service professional combined with other people encouraging each other to say, hey, look, we're up there in second place or third place in what we call the race to rewards every quarter, that sort of builds that, and that, that I think, has been an accelerator for us. So when you combine those two things, it's been a good combination. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Well, you know, companies are kind of finally starting to wake up, and it, it seems like this year there's been much more buzz around just employee engagement Um it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2016 if we really see some real leveraging. I mean, you guys are doing a really unique and a very good job of it. Uh, you know, what do you think it's? Why do you think it's become such a hot topic now? I mean, have people figured out that it's a really good way to drive your business, or is it uh, they finally realize how unengaged their employees are? Or what, what, what's your thoughts there? Yeah. So, well, I, I think we just view it as, or I do, as just just a very inexpensive and efficient way to compete. You know, you, you, you're you always out looking for talent, right? Hard to find at times, especially for certain roles. And think about here in Las Vegas, we're competing against, uh, you know, we're swimming with the sharks, right? Within uh, a 10-minute walk of me is, you know, uh, Wynn Resort. Hey, you're competing against Steve Wynn, uh, Venetian, where the GOP's having their debate tonight over at Bellagio. Like, those are heavy hitters, right, that we're all competing for the same folks. But the people you have on your team today, the better performance you can get from them, uh, you know, by engaging them and providing an environment that, that draws the most out of somebody in, in terms of skill and commitment and discretionary effort, that, that, that's a way to, that's a way to, you know, to poke at and compete with folks like Steve Wynn and the folks down at Bellagio that, you know, have 
beautiful resorts and nice facilities, and they know what they're doing as well. So I just think it's a, that engagement to me is about maximizing what you're getting from your staff today. Um, measurements of that are interesting to me. Uh, lots of organizations, we're, we're, about to, we're about to get our employee opinion results, the annual ones we just talked about. I think our company is good at collecting and using them and putting that to work, but there's better measures, I think, of engagement uh, for, for us at our resorts. Just, just attendance, I think, is an interesting measure. And whenever I get in an engagement conversation with somebody, I'll I'll try to bring it back to saying, oh, what are the business outcomes we're trying to get from engaging people? Dif- very different than saying, wow, our employee opinion survey went up from you know some number to some right. number, which feels good. But uh, it's interesting that in our business, some of the jobs we provide to people are very lucrative. If you're a beverage server in the right area, if you're a dealer on the right day, if you're, you know, some, somewhere fortunate where gratuities are good, which they can be in the uh, casino entertainment business, lots of folks can make enough money in two or three days to run their life pretty handsomely. And it's pretty easy if you've had a big week already to say, wow, I, I could, if the weather's not good or like traffic's going to be bad because of the debate here in town today to get in and out of here at night. It's like the first sign of trouble to say I'm going to call out and not come in today. Like to me, things like attendance are are interesting measures of engagement, where people that you have engaged would say, you know what, even though it's even though it's snowing or the traffic's going to be bad or something is not right in my life at home, I got to go in. I'm on the schedule. I'm part of a team. I know I need to contribute to the business. Like those types of outcomes are the kind of things I'm seeking from, you know, trying to engage people at the highest level, and uh, you know, so. That's always a conversation I try to guide when, whenever engagement conversations start, that there's, there's scores and results, and then there's also the business outcomes, like how do people perform and do they come in or not if it's, if it's on an iffy day, right? Yeah, and that's a fascinating complexity that most of us don't have to deal with, that somebody has this variable income where they may have their entire month's you know, bills and everything set, and why come in for the next three days if it's going to be difficult or... Um, you know, I just don't feel like it, but the, you need to have those other things. So that's an incredible metric for you guys, uh, from the, for the attendance standpoint. And not only a good metric, it's a, it's a really vital one. I mean, you got to have those people in there to, to provide to your, to your clients as well. If you want to have those scores and those, you know, good experiences to have them come back again and again. Right. The, the, the downward spiral of that, and my team works on that a lot. We'll, we'll spend time at the properties doing, uh, you know, a lot of business consulting on either service standards, applications of technology process, but we'll just pick an area and we'll just hang out with an area for two or three days, try to learn everything there is to know about the comings and goings over, you know, 24 hours. So if you think about beverage service at a, uh, a big casino resort, um, if you had 12 beverage servers scheduled and three call in, now you're down to nine, maybe you get lucky and you find a replacement for one and you're back up to 10, you know, you've got the sections you've got to cover, so the outcomes are can be pretty tragic if you imagine that uh, either everyone works a bigger section than they should, so the coverage is not great, or perhaps a less optimum one where you called in and then I have to cover my section and your section, so the services can only be half as good. If you get one or two disappointed customers, like it's very easy to switch. Like when you're here in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. you walk out the door and walk over to the neighbors, and the business is like gone. So. It's a little different than your, when your bank underserves you, and then you have to decide, am I really mad enough at my bank to undo all my accounts and my bill pay and switch banks? Like, at that point, you realize it's too hard to do. Right. Where we're in a lot of places where it's very easy for the customer to switch, like, mid-business stream, 
by just walking on out. So it's really important that if we have 12 scheduled, we get 12, like I call it, like players on the field, so you're not missing like you're a right fielder or your second baseman. Yeah. It's going to make your baseball team bad if we're missing people because they you know, made sort of a conscious choice to come in or not based on the fact whether they, they feel engaged with the business or not. That's a pretty terrifying uh, situation to say, but you know, we're, we're, now we're overworking other people and underserving customers. Pretty bad business outcome. Yeah. Well, you know, looking forward to 2016, what are some of the areas that you guys are focused on or that you think, you know, businesses from a people standpoint should be focused on uh, next year? Yeah, so the whole trend in our industry is people think of us as a, as a gaming company, right? But the whole trend in the industry is is more toward the hospitality assets that we have. Uh, you know, if you took away all our casinos, we'd be one of the biggest hotel companies in the world just by number of rooms. Um, we feed several million people a day. Um, so assets like, uh, you know, and we're partnered with the celebrity chefs, Gordon Ramsay, Guy Fieri, Giada, Bobby Flay. We, you know, our nightclubs have the, the most famous DJs, that kind of thing. You know, we, we need to attract folks that can support that. Um, you know, if we're going to open a celebrity chef restaurant, you know, we, we have to be able to, to staff it with people we're proud of. They're going to they're gonna meet the standard, if you can imagine, we're partners with Gordon Ramsay, and we're staffing that, and that goes bad. If you've ever seen his TV show, that's going to be not a great day. Oh, I've been in the Celebrity Chef, uh, at, you know, that setting in Vegas and had really bad service. And you think, <laughs> where did they get these people? You know, it's this great food and the great kitchen, but the staff doesn't know what they're doing. So, I, yeah, that's a great yeah. point. So so we're headed toward that, and I, I think I think that organizations been good at understanding like customer experiences from an analytical standpoint like cr- cracking the hood of a visit to the flamingo or paris and looking at all the pieces and figuring out what went well and less well and improving those mm-hmm. we're going to do more work in the net promoter space i'm sure uh in 16 i'm sure that, which will be new for us so mm-hmm. that's a that's a change that's coming uh so our, our focus there is a little less on the on, on improving your experience to make sure we either keep you longer or get you back, but trying to drive the advocacy, which is what Net Promoter is all about. So as we know, we're adding more and more entertainment, food, hospitality assets. We think that's the path to filling those and pricing them the way we want to. So uh, we'll be doing more work in the advocacy space and, and a little less of a focus on uh, what I would call the scores and the correlations of everything, which is an, a pretty analytical approach to it which has been successful for us, to just follow in the voice of the customer. To Chris, to your point where you're asking that one question on Wednesdays to your staff and just trying to, li- you know, as a listening post, right, and trying mm-hmm. to follow it. Um, you know, we're going we're to understand what, what exactly is it that's making people advocates and, and, and try to emphasize or do more of that. And then uh, just as important, maybe more so, finding the detractors in the net promoter system and really understanding what, it, what is their voice saying that's causing them to say I would not recommend that business to a friend or colleague? So I, I think that's uh, I think that's the strategic opportunity for us in 16. And then that just links up to the way the world works, that marketers in every company are losing their power day by day, and they hate that. It's very aggravating to marketers in our company, and I'm sure others. Uh, people used to know what marketers uh, told them about experiences and products. Now they just go online and look at Yelp or TripAdvisor or a product review of a computer, and then they see what the, the people who've experienced are saying, and then they, and that, right. that has most of the power. So, we're going to need to be very in tune with with that, and I think I think through that net promoter system, I think we can do some of that in six, starting at sixteen. 
Well, it sounds like you got your hands full, uh, and you got some great stuff that uh, will keep you busy in the year, and it sounds like some really exciting things as well. Uh, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask you our favorite question, which is, what are you reading right now? Uh, all right. I, I'd say in general, I, I do like the Malcolm Gladwell books. Okay, I'm a, I'm a student of decision-making, and uh, the, the book Blink, I think, was a good lesson in yeah. that. But per- personally, lately, I, I read a book called... Uh, Essentialism, which is a, it's called the Essentialism: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, and that's uh, an author's name is Greg McCown, not to be confused with Luke and Josh McCown, the backup quarterbacking brothers in the NFL. <laughs> it's a different McCown, I think, but it's just about uh, how to simplify and organize either your personal or your work life to a way that you know just make get you help, help helps get you focused on the most important things, either in your life or work. And I thought that's been pretty interesting and good. I'm I'm going to admit that I don't know if I'm phenomenal at it, but uh, certainly things, I mean, I'm not a young person anymore, unfortunately, but certainly things I think that keep me learning and give me a chance to say, hey, where could I put that, those principles to work? So that's, that's been good. I think that's the second time, if not the third, in the last six weeks that book has come up. So it seems to be really uh, front of mind for a lot of people, especially those that have been on the show. So it sounds like a great book for everyone to check out. Uh, don't forget you can check out our blog on peopleg2.com. We have a full recap of all of the radio show interviews, and we list out all the books and anything cool that they said. Uh, so just in case you didn't have a pen and paper ready, we can you can get it there. But, uh, Tara, I really appreciate you being on the show today. It was fascinating to kind of dive into how your operation works and the things that you're really tuned in on, uh, to for your, for your organization. And we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update. I'd be happy to do it, Chris. Happy holidays to you, sir. You too. Thank you so much. And uh, this has been a great year for Talent Talk. We've had some fantastic guests uh, and the additional addition of the show being syndicated on iHeartRadio. So thank you again for everyone continuing to listen week after week. Uh, we're looking forward to a great 2016 and have an incredible uh, list of business leaders, authors, HR executives, and people who really understand what it uh, means to develop talent, engage employees, and create winning cultures. And uh, enjoy a great holiday season and a happy new year. And we'll be back on Tuesday, January 5th. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.